want to welcome you to City this morning, and um, we're going to do something that just came through in, uh, on my phone backstage on a text. I noticed it through an AP news feed this morning, but there was a church in Egypt on Palm Sunday, this Sunday morning, that was blown up. And there are a large number of people who are now dead and a large number of people who are now wounded. We are the church, capital C, aren't we? Let me ask you that again. We are, right? Capital C. It's not just about City Church. Every single Sunday we pray for every church in Charlottesville. It's not just about us. And the Bible is absolutely clear that we are part of the church of Christ that literally circles the globe. I can't imagine being in a worship setting and an explosive device goes off. Can't even imagine. Can you? But we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world that live with this every single day. So I'm going to ask that you would join with me. And I know you were just seated, but I'm going to ask that you would stand. And we're going to pray for this little church in Egypt that God would be with them. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you this little church in Egypt. We ask in the name of Jesus that you'll bring peace, that you'll bring strength. God, I pray that you would be with the leadership in a way that only you can. God, I ask through this evil tragedy that somehow, some way, you would invest yourself in a unique way into this church. And as you do that, you would turn what was meant for evil, and you would bring it for good. As families are now in grief and in mourning, and as this church family is doing the same, we pray a blessing over them. God, as we stand here now praying for our brothers and sisters all over this world, but specifically for the church in Egypt, I thank you that we are one week away from Easter. I want to thank you that there is resurrection life. I want to thank you that this world is not all that there is. But in this world when we face tragedy and hardship and death, that in you we have life and life eternal. So we as a church family now pray the blessing of the resurrected life over that church in Egypt. I thank you that in you we will see these people one day. That in you life cut short here is eternally with you and you unite us through who you are. So God, I thank you for resurrection life. I thank you for the blessed hope of the church. God, be with these brothers and sisters and we thank you that we can pray and know that your powerful arm And your gentle hand is now extending the miles, and you're bringing healing and wholeness and resurrection into that setting. We believe for this, and we pray for it now in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. And we say before God, amen and amen. You may be seated. We are one week from Easter. 
And this morning begins our stepping into what's called Holy Week. Many of us have been going through different online devotionals through the YouVersion Bible app. We've kind of been processing towards uh, Easter literally for the past 30-something days and preparing ourselves for Resurrection Sunday. Now, this Sunday is known as Palm Sunday, and it's sort of the trigger for what we call the Holy Week or Holy Week or the High Week for Easter season. And as we're looking at this, I'm not going to be talking about Palm Sunday this morning, but I am keenly aware that we have a large number of people here at City where you didn't grow up in the church, you're not aware of really what Easter is at all, but you've heard of Palm Sunday. So before I kind of get into the context of my message, I just wanted to explain to you what Palm Sunday is so that you would know. Palm Sunday denotes the day when Jesus, with his disciples, moves towards Jerusalem. And as he's entering Jerusalem, the Bible tells us clearly that there is a large group of people with him. It's known as the triumphal entry. And Jesus, with his disciples, some people that he had recently healed and delivered, are now moving with him, and they're going into that ancient city. And as they're moving towards the city, the people around him are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what you may not know is that in the Older Testament, that is a proclamation that proclaims, here comes the king. Here comes the king. Now, the triumphal entry is something that was perfected by the Romans. And the Romans had triumphal entries that were sanctioned by the Roman Senate. And so during the time of Jesus, triumphal entries were primarily something that the Romans did. And what it looked like was this. A Roman general who had defeated a group of people would move towards a city and in front of him were the people or a subsample of the people that they had conquered. And the general would be riding on a stallion, and in front of him would be the conquered peoples. There would also be some of the loot that had been gathered in battle. And then with him would be the soldiers that had fought with him. And it was literally called the triumphal entry, and it was a flexing of the muscles of Rome. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem is called a triumphal entry. Now picture yourself on the Great Wall of Jerusalem. Here you are on the wall, and you hear somebody shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. You're a Jew. You know that's the announcement of a king. So you look over the wall, and when you do, what do you see? you see a Jewish man riding on the foal of a donkey. And there's no one in front of them that he's conquered, but everyone around him is a rejoicing and they're announcing the freedom of God. (laughs) What a triumphal entry. And the Bible says that he as king is gentle and humble and kind. Some historians actually believe that either simultaneously or later that day, King Herod 
had his triumphal entry into the ancient city of Jerusalem. And can you imagine the contrast between the two? King Herod, who was the son of a different Herod, Herod the Great, who Herod the Great had rebuilt much of Jerusalem and had done other things, but in order to gain his power had killed people, killed people in his own family, had killed political opponents, had done some maneuvers through military in order to gain his power, and now his son is entering the other side of Jerusalem with his triumphal entry, maybe even simultaneously. Can you imagine the difference between the two? My Bible tells me that Jesus was gentle, he was humble, and he was kind. What I want to tell you is this, that's the king you need. You don't want a king who's filled with political savvy and violence and self-preservation. You want a king that you can touch, that you can walk with, and you can know. Palm Sunday is called Palm Sunday because when Jesus was moving towards that ancient city, the people were snapping palm branches off the trees and they were laying them before him as what they would do when welcoming a king into their community. They were declaring him as king. So Jesus moves into Jerusalem and by Thursday, he sits down to have a meal with his disciples. What I want to focus on this morning is that meal that we call the Last Supper. I want to focus on it because, again, I know a lot of people here at City are people who've maybe never even read the Bible or the things of the Scriptures are unfamiliar to you. And my goal this morning is that when we take communion together, you will understand what communion is in the context of the Last Supper. So, The Bible tells us that Jesus, on Thursday, would have had this meal. Now, I have a question for you. I want you to remember your favorite meal right now. I want you to remember it. I want you to think about your favorite dining experience ever, singular. What is the favorite meal you've ever had? Let me tell you about mine. (laughs) So, it was before I was married, and there was a place in the Italian burg of Trenton, New Jersey. I was living in Princeton in the time, and there was an Italian restaurant called Chianti's. I remember a friend of mine took me there. His name was Tim Calipas. We're still friends to this day. This was 30-something years ago. So Tim and I go to Chianti's, and I had the best food I have ever eaten in my entire life. How many of you know a good meal is almost a spiritual experience? Do you know what I'm talking about? I had one of them right there. I had a divine encounter right there at Chianti's. I mean, the food was amazing. But here's was what was fascinating. I walked in with my buddy Tim Calipas. And the restaurant was about 40% full. And when I walked in into the Italian Berg, that's where the restaurant was, I walked in and they sat us right by the swinging door going in and out of the kitchen. Literally. The door was going like this, womp, 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 right? And I'm looking and there's all these open seats in the restaurant. They stuck us right there. So out of deep love and affection for that food and my wife-to-be, I took her to that restaurant. We walked in, when I walked in with her, 
we got the best seat in the entire restaurant. And here's why. One Italian knows another Italian. And I'm German. So when I walked in, they sat me and my buddy by the swinging door in the back. It was a constant reminder, you're not welcome here. But when I took Fran, they looked at her, and it was like a long-lost family member had just walked through the door. And we got one of the best seats in the entire house. That's one meal that I remember. The food was awesome. So was the company. The second meal that is my favorite meal is Thanksgiving. How many of you love Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. We have a family tradition where every year we go to my mom's house, and I have a deal with my parents, and here's what the deal is. If you make the food that I like, you see the grandkids. That's how this works. And literally, this is true. We'll plan this, and about three weeks ahead, my mom will call me and say, okay, what do you want for Thanksgiving? And this is no joke. My family, so my wife, Myself and my three kids, we craft an email, a detailed email about what we... How many of you have ever done this? I know I'm not the only one. And I send it to my mom, and she knows, she knows that if she does that, the kids show up. It's the deal. But the food is awesome. But here's the other reason why I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a reminder of the goodness of God. It's a reminder that we recognize that God is involved with our lives. The food is amazing, and it was first celebrated on the U.S. shores by pilgrims. It's literally denoted in one of their diaries where about 90 Indians and 50 pilgrims met and had a three-day celebration thanking God for His provision and His blessing. I like that. I'm going to tell you, Thanksgiving is meaningful to me. It really is. I don't really know what we'll do when God calls my mother home, but I can promise you Thanksgiving will not be as good. How many of your mothers can cook something better than anyone else, and when you try to cook it, it's almost like it's cursed? Have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? Now, the meal that we're going to be talking about this morning and an understanding of what communion is. What we have to understand at the outset is the meal we're going to talk about is the epicenter of the Jewish faith. In the Older Testament, the beginning of the Older Testament and the latter portion of the Older Testament builds up to what we're going to be talking about today. So this event hits, and then after that, you, sees, you see echoes of it throughout the rest of the Older Testament. And if you were to ask a Jewish person, what we're going to talk about this morning is the epicenter of their faith. It's the experience in the Older Testament that tells the Jewish people who God is and what God will do for you. It describes to them who God is and what God will do for you. And so now what I'm going to ask that we would do together is we're going to read a little bit more Scripture this morning than normal. But I'm going to ask that we would begin reading together in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13. In verse 13, 
actually verse 14. What we're getting ready to read is an event from the life of Jesus. And this event in the life of Jesus is going to tie into the event in the Older Testament that I've mentioned. Here's what the Bible tells us. It says, when the hour came, and just so you know what's happening, this is the Last Supper. Jesus had His triumphal entry on Sunday. Now we're picking it up on Thursday, the Thursday following the triumphal entry. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and His apostles reclined at the table, and He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this, what's the next word? Passover. He said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus said to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to take this Passover with you. He had taken Passover with his disciples before. Wasn't the first one. But in the original language, you could say it like this. Jesus announces, I eagerly, eagerly, eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you. Now, for in order for us to understand the Last Supper, we must also understand Passover. If we're going to understand communion that we're getting ready to take together, we also must understand Passover. All of this links together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a journey into the Older Testament. But what I want you to notice is in Luke twenty-two fifteen, that Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For us to understand what Passover is, We're going to take a brief journey into the Older Testament. In the Older Testament, I want you to look with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that the meal we're going to talk about today is the center of the Jewish faith. The book of Exodus describes how God set Israel free from bondage to Egypt. And if some of you know the Older Testament, or maybe you've ever watched the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, or maybe you watched The Prince of Egypt, that Disney animated film, you would know that God delivers Israel by a series of plagues. Before He does that, though, He taps a guy by the name of Moses. Moses was a man who was Jewish but had been raised in Egypt in Pharaoh's household, Because of a series of events, 
He ends up disappearing for several decades, and then God taps him at a burning bush and says, I want you to come, and you're going to be setting Israel free. Moses says to God what everyone says to God when God taps them that way. He says, you've got the wrong dude. Go find someone else. God says, oh, no, no, it's you. And so Moses begins to move with God as he heads towards Egypt in order to see the Israelites who've been in bondage for 430 years to Egypt. Moses will be the man God will use to set them free. God setting them free is what the book of Exodus is all about. It talks about how God taps Moses and then does a series of miraculous interventions on Moses' behalf and the Israelites' behalf through the sending of many plagues. Now here's another thing we need to understand. That after the plagues hit and Israel is set free, they begin to move towards what's called in the Bible the promised land. And as they're moving towards the promised land, God begins to bring His law through Moses to the Israelite people. That law involves the Ten Commandments, but it involves the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Older Testament, and if you were to read it as you're getting ready to go to bed tonight, you will fall asleep in about 35 seconds. It is a long description about how the Israelites are supposed to obey a series of laws. And if they do, they will be blessed. And if they break those laws, they will be cursed. Those laws are the basis for what's called a covenant. A covenant. If you're married, you're in a covenant. That covenant is understood that two parties come together and there's mutual agreements about what it means to enter into this relationship. God with Moses and the people of God in the Older Testament, in the book of Exodus, in the book of Deuteronomy, approaches his people and says, listen, I want to enter into a covenant with you. That covenant has the laws of God. So Israel's whole existence now, from Moses on, is based on these laws. If we live them, we're blessed. If we break them, we're cursed. It's called the Old Covenant. Now what we're going to do is look in Exodus 12. And in Exodus 12, the final plague is getting ready to hit. The final plague is called the death of the firstborn. God approaches Moses and said, listen... I'm going to do one final thing to the Egyptian empire and to Pharaoh. And when I do, I'm going to take out the firstborn animal and the firstborn child of everyone in Egypt. But as God always does, before he executes his judgment, he provides by his grace and his love a way of escape. So he approaches Moses, says, listen, Moses, this is Exodus 12. Here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go out into your fields and find a lamb that's unblemished, a lamb that's a year old or younger, and I want you to bring it into your house. And God says to Moses, on the 14th of that month, what I want everyone in Israel to do, all of the Israelites, I want you to take that lamb and slaughter it, let out its blood. What I want you to do is take the blood and take a branch of hyssop, and I want you to splatter the blood on the door frames and the door mantle of your homes. And then what I also want you to do is I want you to sit down and eat a meal. 
And the meal that you're going to eat on that night is going to consist of the lamb which you will cook over the fire, and you're to consume all of it. Not only that, you're going to eat some bitter herbs, and you will eat unleavened bread. And God announces, you can see it right in the middle of Exodus chapter 12, He says, when you eat the meal, tuck in your cloak, have your sandals on your feet, and have your staff ready, because you're going to eat this meal in haste. you got to eat it quickly. So the Bible tells us that the nation of Israel obeys and moves in that direction. Then we pick up Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what God says to Moses and to His people. He says, on that same night, after they've eaten that meal, after they put the blood on the doorframe, God says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will, what does God say? pass over you. That's where Passover comes from. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 14, this is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. Here's what's amazing, is the people of of Israel obey that. And when they obey that, God preserves them and his death angel passes over them. But you would notice that in Exodus 12, God said this meal is to be eaten as a lasting ordinance. You don't just eat it once, but for every Jewish person on the 14th of that month, they are to gather together and eat that meal to commemorate that God set you free from the slavery and the bondage to Egypt. That was 1,500 years before Jesus was born. And for 3,500 years, Jewish families meet every year, and they sit down to this meal. And when they sit down to this meal, they celebrate a God who sets His people free. It's the purpose of the meal. It's called the Passover. You might have also heard it called a Seder. Now, by the time of Jesus, that meal had a certain rhythm to it that was the expectation of every Jewish person taking the Passover. That expectation in that meal involved four cups of wine. Now, if we could put up the four cups on the screen. What was interesting this week, by the way, is I was part of this faith discussion group with some people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. There was a pretty good number of people in this room, and I was explaining this to them. And I mentioned to them that in the Passover meal, there are four cups of wine. And one of the ladies who's kind of checking out who Jesus is said this, how come we don't get four cups of wine in church when we take communion? I want four cups of wine. The weird thing was she was focused on the wine. I'm trying to get her to look at, anyway, that's an aside. So let's pick up the story. So by the time of Jesus, there were four cups. There was the cup of sanctification, that would be drank first. There was the cup of blessing, number two. There was the cup of redemption, number three. And the, cup of, the fourth cup that would be taken in the Passover meal was the cup of acceptance. 
four cups. And it's taken from a scripture in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. That's where those four cups are taken from. Those passages is what God said to Moses when he said, Moses, I'm going to use you to set my people free. And as we sit here this morning, I want you to listen to the ancient text about what God said to Moses when he taps Moses to move towards the Exodus. Here's what God says to Moses. Hey, Moses, here's what I want you to say to the Israelites. Here's what you tell them. Exodus 6, 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's what God said to Moses. He said, when you go to come to Israel and you come to those people in bondage, here's what I want you to say to them. Exodus 6, 6 through 7. That's where those four cups come from. Those four cups are taken from God's promise to Moses that he will set his people free. And so while they're sitting there at that Passover meal, they remember the promise through Moses to them. They remember the promise. The four cups. Now, we pick up where we first read. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20. Luke 22, 19 through 20. You see, Jesus says to his disciples, I have longed to eat this Passover meal with you. And so as Jesus is sitting there with that meal... They're processing through the Passover, and as they process through it, Jesus is their rabbi. And as they're going through this meal that's been done exactly the same for 1,500 years, the Bible tells us that as their rabbi, in verse 19, what does it say happens? Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I will tell you, every disciple sitting there fell off their chair. Here's why. Jesus now alters the central meal of the Jewish faith. The central reminder of what it means to be a Jew. Jesus alters that meal, and when he breaks the bread, he does not announce the Lamb of God, he announces himself. And he says, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And then he reads on, verse 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the... What are the next words? New covenant. Wait a second. Wait a minute. The old old covenant is based upon the law of God. 
And Jesus, in the middle of communion, as they are remembering the law of God, they're remembering Moses, they're remembering the God that has set them free from the bondage of Egypt, they're remembering that exodus where God made them into a people, and Jesus, in the midst of that meal, the central celebration of being a Jew, where they would remember the laws of God and the covenant with God, Jesus takes the cup. And he takes the third one, the cup of deliverance. And when he holds up that cup, he says, this cup is a new covenant in whose blood? His blood. It's no longer looking backwards to the lamb that was slaughtered and the blood that was put over the doorframe. Now Jesus holds up the cup, the cup of the deliverance, and says, this cup is about me. It's about me. It's about my body and my blood. Jesus announces that. And he says, it's going to be poured out for you. Listen, every time we take communion, you celebrate Passover. You celebrate a God who has set you free from slavery. You celebrate a God who has set you free from bondage. You celebrate a God who intervenes on our behalf when we are captured and we cannot get ourselves free. Now you might say, Pete, I'm not in bondage. I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. Pete, look around you. We're not in bondage. Well, here's what I would like to say to you. God delivered Israel from bondage to Egypt, he set them free politically and he set them free militarily. But they had a choice as to whether or not he would set them free spiritually. I'm going to tell you this. We sit here in the Martin Luther King Performing Arts Center. We live in the freest country ever known to humankind. We are politically free. We are militarily free. But how about it? You can live in the freest nation that has ever been known to humankind, and you can be in slavery and in bondage to sin. You can be politically free and militarily free, but you're not free. You see, the beauty of what Jesus does is that no longer is it about looking back to what God did in the Exodus. But now we can look to a resurrected Jesus. And every time you take the cup, and every time you break the bread, and we take communion together, you are rejoicing in a God that sets you free. That's what we're doing And it's no longer in the rearview mirror with a longing to the future. Now it's present time, real time, because Christ is resurrected from the dead. And so I want to encourage you as we take communion together. Would you, along with me, crown Jesus as your king? Would you crown him as king? Because no longer do we have to look to an ancient event, but we can now, by God's grace, sit here in this auditorium 
And as we take communion together, we have the opportunity to hold in our hand the cup and the bread. And as we do that, we are holding a new covenant, a covenant of love, a covenant of grace, a covenant that does not just cover our sin, but a covenant that eternally removes our sin from us. It's a new covenant. It's not a covenant based on 613 laws. The new covenant is based upon my acceptance of what Jesus Christ has done for me. So what I would like for us to do is would you take the communion emblems that you were handed as you came through the door? If you do not have them, please raise your hand high. We have people that will come and deliver communion to you very quickly. If you would just keep your hand raised. But as we prepare our hearts for communion, I'm going to read for us again Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20. The Bible says in that Passover at the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. Everything was at that moment the same as it had been for 1,500 years. But as he broke the bread, he said to those people, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the third cup, the cup of deliverance. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Has everyone been served that would like to be served? Keep your hand raised, they'll find you. We now hold emblems that are 3,500 years old. They beckon and hearken back to the Exodus. There's a God that sets you free. But God chose in His infinite wisdom that He would set us free through His Son, the Lamb of God without blemish, who came in this world to take away our sin. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me and as we stand together, we're going to pretend that your chairs are angels clapping. Did you hear them clapping? We stand now to take the Passover meal. To remember again that there's a God who sets His people free. There's a God that can bring hope where it's hopeless. There's a God who can bring peace into the midst of turmoil. There's a God who can bring life where there's death. There's a God who can bring healing where there's brokenheartedness. And there's a God who brings resurrection life to you and to me. He brings it to us. I want to tell you a quick story before we partake.
Just a day or two ago, I was walking with a friend. My friend lost his child at a very early age. And as we were walking together, we were talking about life. You know what my friend said to me? He said, Pete, I can't wait to see my son again. Can't wait. He said it with assurance down to the depths of his soul. Do you want to know why? Because he knows that resurrection is real. He also knows Jesus. He knows the one whom sets us free. Even from death, he sets us free. We hold the emblems of the Exodus. It's an Exodus out of death into life. That's what it is. So as we hold the emblems, would you please hold the bread up before the Lord? He took the bread. He gave thanks. When he gave it to him, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we partake, the Bible encourages us to examine our hearts. If there's anything in your heart that you know is not right, take just a moment to confess it to God. Say, God, here it is. Here it is. I hold your bread, and as I hold your bread, I confess my sin. And I thank you that because of this bread, I can be free as I confess it to you. The Bible declares that by his stripes, we're healed. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord and give thanks. Jesus, we give thanks for the new covenant. We thank you that the law of God is satisfied in you. We thank you that by your shed blood, the price of our sin has been paid for and the judgment of God will pass over us. Jesus, I thank you that you declared that all are welcome to sit at this table. That it's not just for the Jew, but it's for the Gentile as well. And as we hold up this cup, we declare that instead of placing it on the door frames of our life, we will now drink it and place it on our hearts. Let's drink together. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for this Passover meal. We celebrate in it, and from the depths of our soul, we give you thanks. The only rightful response now is to worship. Let's worship together. God. 
our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that he will rise again. For I believe in the my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's give the Lord a clap offering for what he has done for us through Christ. going to remain in an attitude of worship. If you need prayer, we have our prayer team will be down front to pray with you, to pray for you. If you need to slip out in just a moment after the blessing, I'd encourage you to do that. Please do so quietly. And one other thing is this, is this is a vacation weekend. It's the end of spring break for a lot of our people. And so if you would be able to help us with teardown following the service, just exit the auditorium, move diagonally to your right. You'll see a draped off black area through the doorways to your right. If you would just wait there, we will have team leaders that will come and uh, kind of put you to work for us. So if you could spare about 20 to 30 minutes after the service, 
Our labor force for teardown is a little bit slim as they're on spring break. And who can blame people for taking a vacation? Am I right? Am I right? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the new covenant. And because of what you've done for us, and because of the Passover meal that we've just eaten together, I now pray that the Lord would bless you, that the Lord would keep you, that he would cause his face to shine upon you, and he would give you peace. Let's worship together. You can exit when you're ready. God bless you. Invite a friend to Easter next Sunday morning. Shaken and stirred Can become 
And this mountain that's in front of me 
it is well with me.